Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Paul. And I'm Mark. So you're finally back with us. Yeah. Back from Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, back from uh, spending Christmas with your your sister there. Yeah, it was a good trip. Yeah, that sucks going to Massachusetts. Yeah, it's always uh, good to be back on this side of the <laughs> yeah. main border, though. You missed you missed Riley last week. Yeah, I really. I, or a I week was, and a half ago. I was telling uh, a friend today that I I wish I'd been there. Yeah, he's for, he's a lot of fun. Yeah, he's a, he's an excellent hunter. He's just a good. And he did a fantastic job as a a guest on yeah, the show. Yeah, he's, he's just a good kind of a good all-around guy he is he is for sure well-spirited yeah really nice guy yeah good attitude yeah so in this so. episode this is episode 24 i kind of want to talk about hunter success in part so we'll go over some aspects of what makes a hunter successful and there's one key ingredient that don't most follow me be, around What's that? Don't follow me around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do the opposite. No, Jesus <laughs> yeah, yeah. girl. Do the opposite of what I do for sure. No. Yeah. So we'll go over. Yeah. What what makes a hunter successful? And like I said, there's one key ingredient that we'll talk about, and everyone is pretty well known. But sometimes you forget. It's easy to get yeah. discouraged, and yeah, when you're not successful, yeah, and kind of it's pretty simple. There's a pretty good story that I wanted to talk about, and we'll kind of sum sum up the podcast with that story. Yeah. And it's kind of a good, in, some good insight into how sometimes what we perceive things as a disadvantage can be actually an advantage. Yeah. And maybe not this particular scenario directly, but in the grand scheme of things, it kind of opens your eyes to how sometimes what we view as a society as a disadvantage can actually end up being an advantage if used correctly. Right. And, and we'll, we'll get into that at the end of this. But anyway, so... Kind of an odd winner. Yeah, for so sure. Far. Yeah, we still uh, uh, not much snow and uh, not much ice. In fact, no. I don't know if you heard, Paul, there was a, a vehicle went through I, the ice in Long Lake there. Ryan so. sent me the video. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Dan uh, was talking about it today, and uh, I haven't seen anything on I, it. I can't so. imagine thinking. No, taking a vehicle. I'm going to drive out there. No, uh, we were there a week ago up to Long Lake. And uh, went to the Lakeview for for New Year's Eve, and there was open water on the lake. Yeah, yeah. So, I had someone telling me the other day. It was probably a week ago now. Um, a friend of theirs was fishing in closer to Sinclair, mm-hmm. where it's the opposing shores are closer to one another. And I think he said there was four inches of ice. Yeah, the guy went out just want he wanted to go fishing, and he, you know, went out and and uh, punched a hole. Mm. And just walked out. Yeah. You know, he wasn't hauling a bunch of stuff out there. So I can't imagine driving a truck. No, no. Out on the the ice. But we went out yesterday and through the woods, drove around. We did, yeah. And and checked some cameras or one camera that we had out. Very uh, few times in January up here can you go for a ride in the woods. Try to take advantage of it. On an unplowed road. Yep. Yeah. And it leads you to see that, you know, there's still a lot of, well, larger bucks kind of going back yeah. and forth. Yeah, the deer are a long way from the yards. Long so, ways. Yeah, yeah, they were. Didn't see much for small deer sign, like no. those or fawns. No. Looks like they're pretty well gone to the yards, yeah. but larger deer, which kind of leads to the old adage, you know, people say that particularly big bucks, probably the last to, to yard up. Right. If some of or them, the least likely if the winter isn't if, that hard. Yeah, that, if that some maybe, of them, 
hang back or stay away from uh yeah yard at all so you know january 6 we never usually get the opportunity to to just drive out very seldom very seldom we took advantage of that opportunity and drove Mm. around and see what there was for deer sign yeah and so so far they're having a great winter they are no cold weather no no i had two below last night and we've had very few nights of uh below zero and when it has it's you know just a few degrees below zero hopefully that pays dividends next fall yeah it should no i mean we're about you said regarding heating degree days we're about halfway through well, Winter? that's what I was thinking. I, I I tried to look that up, Paul, and I couldn't find any information. But I, I it seems to me that uh, sometime in the middle of January, you're halfway through the heating season. But I I may be wrong on okay. that. I don't want to. I had heard one time, and I I did try to find that information, but I yeah, I I'm, couldn't. I'm not a meteorologist, but yeah. Then again, you don't really have to be right about anything to be a meteorologist. No, so. no, they they predict uh, the weather. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't call it predict. Yeah, They'd well. Say something and yeah, in Maine, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, yeah. We missed this storm. There's a storm right now in the southern yeah. part of uh, yeah. the state and, and uh, lower part of New England, and we're missing that one. Yeah, and a perfect example of that is opening day deer season this year. We had almost 80 degrees. Yeah. And then you turn around the following day we're out, or you're out deer hunting. We had a snowstorm, was it Monday? Yeah, so yeah, two days was, later. It was Monday, Paul. So you're right. Saturday was really warm. Monday, we had three or four inches of snow. It, it looks like a different world. You and never, Wednesday, you shot your deer. Yeah. On it, snow. Yeah. On so that snow. Yeah. It doesn't even look like it would be feasible. No. You know, to go from but it short, can change quick. shorts weather yeah. to tracking snow. Mm. But so as, as we mentioned, one of the other podcasts, so this year's harvest was just over 38,000. Yeah. Down from last year. And I got looking at back some previous years, looking at success rates and stuff. And 2011, it was just over 19,000. We've, yeah, that's when we've doubled. That was post those two bad winters. Right. So that's, I didn't realize it was that low. Yeah. In, uh, in 11. Yeah. So yeah, we're double that. Yeah. So yeah, I guess what we'll do is we'll go over. So you get thinking about, you know, what makes, what contributes to hunter success? And I guess for the terms of this podcast, we're going to just say hunter success is harvesting a, a deer. Mm. You can get into the philosophical stuff of, you know, what makes a successful season. You know, you don't always have to shoot a deer to be successful. No, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, I think if you go, if you look at younger deer hunters, there's a direct <laughs> correlation between hunter satisfaction and hunter success. Mm. You know, if you take a kid out, there's more of a connection between how satisfying their hunt was and the success. And the yeah. success. Harvesting a It's hard an to animal. take a 10-year-old out and spend, say, 30 days yeah. deer hunting, don't shoot anything, yeah. and be like, wow, we, it was a moral victory. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they might struggle to... Yeah. You, you know, I was thinking about that, Paul. You, you talk about that. And I know a lot of guys that, uh, that yeah, go to places that they hunted 40 or 50 years ago and they still go to them and they were successful 40 or 50 years ago, but now it's rare for them to have success or harvest an animal, but they still go to them. They have camps there and it's the, 
it's what they know and it's fond they, memories. It's fond yeah. mem- memories, what they love. Yeah. They still, I can, I can think of a, a number of hunters that, uh, that still do that. And we do in a certain regard, you know, we're, yeah, we're I still s- going to places that don't hold a lot of deer, but it's. And I still check out those old places. Yeah. You know, we still. Yeah. And you think. Bird hunting. Maybe, maybe next year. A deer. Maybe next year. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we had some good places that were that uh, have gone downhill, and we we keep thinking maybe in the years to come they'll yeah. turn around and actually in some of the places it's looking potentially south. That's what I just said. Yeah. We think maybe yeah, yeah. it's looking better, and uh, so we'll see. So I get digging around, and it's funny the stuff you can find. So this is something I would have never you know thought hunter success rates and stuff would be studied as far as like someone like scientists coming up with predictive yeah. models for success. Yeah. And it really has. And, it, and a lot of states have done it for like management yeah. reasons. You've got aging populations of deer hunters. Yeah. So you want to see, you know, do success rates vary amongst various age distributions, yeah. gender, stuff like that. Um, so they can kind of adjust how they manage their, their hunting seasons and their deer herds. One of the, First things I came across that affect success rates is, you know, the relationship with food sources mm-hmm. and how prevalent food sources are that particular year. Yeah. There was a study in Connecticut that showed there was a, like an inverse relationship between like acorn production and deer harvest. Okay. So if you had yeah. a good acorn year, the harvest rates tended to be lower. Right. And the theory was... Deer don't have to move as far, right? So they're not as mobile, not ex, you know exposing themselves yeah. to not traveling as much. Yeah, maybe um, too, Paul and I. You know that uh, when there's acorns, they're in the woods and they maybe not travel to the open fields yeah, or whatever. So they're, yeah, right? They're, they, they may not be out where the hunters are. They're not traveling you know, about, right? And yep. that poses a question. Well, that would probably lend a hand to people that are less likely to really put in the time and effort. Yeah, to, I think the hunters, you know, that still work hard and get out there yeah. and know the area are going to find the yeah. deer. And they, those are the people that are usually successful every year, no matter what. Yeah. But yeah, so one thing that affects hunter success rates is food abundance. Right. So I guess as a general rule, you could say the more abundance of food that's available, mm-hmm. the overall lower success rates of, of deer hunters. And one thing then I got, you know, I was thinking about that and I remember stories of when you were younger about beach. Beach was a big thing right? back There's in the day. There's a lot of beach nuts. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be, and I don't know whether it's because of the disease of the trees or the uh, the the beach ridges have been cut like a lot of things, you know. Isn't there, is it beach bark disease? Yeah, I'm not sure what the disease is. I do know beach struggle to, yeah. to survive I now. think if you look at their skin, it looks like acne. Right. Or, or it's supposed to be smooth. The, yeah. It is. And, and it's not. None of them are. I don't think I've ever seen smooth, smooth bark on yeah. a... Yeah. When I identify a beach tree, yeah. it's like, that's one of yeah. the characteristics that... I can remember as in high school, hunting on a, a ridge and you would, when we had snow, a few inches of snow and every beech tree was like pawed up in a perfect circle yeah. around the tree by yeah. deer, you know, and I haven't seen that in... in I can remember, everyone, you would go up on a ridge and you knew they were really hitting the beach hard and stuff. And uh, I see a few beach nuts every now and then, but not yeah. like, and every time I, I'm in yeah. 
around beech trees, which we have a lot. Yeah. I always think of, you know, those stories of, you know, you guys talking about yeah. beech nuts everywhere. Yeah. I don't, and I've never yeah. in my lifetime. Have seen it like that. No, and I've hunted for, well, 32 years. Yeah. And, and, and bear, not, we're, and we're not talking about bear harvest or anything like that, but bear for sure. Very linked. We're, to, we're tied to the, the, the beech tree, the beech nut. Yeah, I've heard that. And it was, they always produced more uh, cubs on a good beach year. Okay. They, they were, yeah, more yep. prolific. And uh, it was, uh, the, they had a lot of science on that, you know, on the, the relationship between beach and bear. And there was a, there was a makes tie. Sense. I've never been a bear hunter, so. Yeah, it makes sense. But deer too. Beer, deer were tied to the beach, and I don't see that anymore. Like I, like I did. Yeah. Like I say, forty years ago, when I was in high school, it was. I can remember being on beach ridges, and you know, yeah, seeing the. Now, one thing. So acorns. You hear a lot of people, especially southern part of the state and other mm. other states, talk about. You know the number number of acorns and stuff. Northern Maine, we don't have much for oak. No, we don't. But. There's one particular ridge. We found a ridge. <laughs> That's right. We couldn't believe oak. it. It was right full of And there was a oak. Yeah. huge harvest or a huge production of, there was acorns everywhere. Yeah. You can see the leaves were pod everywhere, yeah. but that's pretty atypical in Northern Maine. Yeah. There's, we don't have a lot of oak up here. No, I, like I say, and I've been through that area many times and just really never noticed that, uh, that not, those, not how many attention. oak trees there were yeah. there. It was, uh, it was amazing. So. Another key factor to hunter success, and I think this is really pertinent to Maine. I, I, food source, I don't I think was, is as not up here a factor we had, in, in yeah. northern Maine. You know, that's yeah. We don't have, like I said, a lot of acorns, and the beech nuts yeah. are are basically non-existent yeah. now. And so cutting cutting is more of a food right. source. What you you're know, right, all the that logging browse. and stuff like that, yeah. and where we hunt. Yeah. In the so woods. I don't, I don't so. think that's a huge issue up here. No. Um, definitely weather conditions. Mm-hmm. And you see that play out like this year. You'll see, and especially like social media and stuff, when we get snow, you see even the stand hunters, it just yeah. seems once we get some snow, yeah, the success rates go up big time. Yeah. Even, Paul, all my entire life, when I read outdoor columns in the paper or read articles of uh, from the department, that was always a big thing. Yeah, the weather always played a, an important role in the harvest in Maine. Snow and cold oh, yeah. weather. Yeah, snow and cold weather played a big, big uh, part in our harvest. And I think it's you know kind of twofold. One, you get less deer movement in warm weather. Yeah, and two, warm weather. I know me as a hunter. Hunter participation. I just don't feel like, and that's doing a, much. that is like a I real... find myself like that opening day that it was eighty yeah. degrees. I yeah. find myself doing a lot of like getting into an area and just kind of sitting and enjoying the scenery. Yeah, and I you just don't yeah. feel the, like the effort. Uh, yeah, like yeah. logging miles and stuff. Yeah. And and, and uh, that was a real thing too, Paul. And they always correlated the weather with people are more apt to stay home and not go hunting. Yeah. You know, and and that was when I was younger. I don't. I assume that still holds true. But uh, but you know, they they would uh, wait for better weather. Yeah. So if you had a year when you didn't, you know, you went most of the season without snow, 
you know, participation may go down and harvest went down with it. Yeah. And especially so. if you like deer tracking. Yeah. Boys, when you get a snow on the ground, yeah. it's like you're just, yeah. You don't want to be anywhere's but no in the deer woods. Other days you can be like, nah, whatever. Yeah. It's, you know. But you were correct in saying even stand hunters or stalkers, it affected every, you yeah. know, the, the, even the stand hunters want to see snow and stuff. Well, I, and I remember it, the, in cold weather, makes the deer move. Yeah. And so I remember yeah. the guys at camp that stand hunted. They were just as excited for snow for as snow, yeah. anyone else that was going to be Absolutely, mobile. yeah. And they would even say, you know, even though I'm not, yeah. I, it, you see deer better. It just does something to your psyche. You can see what's cross. Yeah. The next day you go out, you can see if anyone went through during the night. There's just a whole, yeah. it looks like deer It hunting. tells you a lot. The snow yeah. does for sure. So food sources, we've got weather. Another one that's pretty predominant is timing of the rot. Mm-hmm. And obviously, peak of the rot in Maine. We we were talking about that yesterday mm. when we were out. You're saying what around the fifteenth of November? I think that's what generally there. And we talked about that. Probably was like two different uh, theories. One was length of day. You know, yeah, length of the photo period. Yeah, that was uh, that was. Uh, a theory, and then moon phases, moon phases and stuff was another theory. Of course, uh, the length of day will always be the same year in and year out. Yep. So it would, the peak of the rut would be the same the same date. The uh, the uh, moon phases it would vary, but but basically they fall within the the same uh, time frame. Yeah, they're pretty close. So now I guess as that as that applies in northern Maine, I would say as if you were a stand hunter hunting the rut. It's going to increase your chances by the fact that bucks are, yeah. they're searching. They're, yeah. they're mobile. They're out looking. Yeah. More likelihood of getting a, a buck to cross in front of you. As opposed to early in the year, the bucks aren't moving yeah. that hard. Yeah. Now, if you're someone who likes a deer track, obviously any day you get snow is good. But if you get snow early in the year, mm. I mean, that, that ups your chances big time. It does. Because they're not moving very far. Right. And they're much easier to catch. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get into the later part yeah. of the season, you get tracking a buck that's yeah. kind of in seek and destroy mode. Yeah. Man, they just, they can you, get psychotic almost. Yeah, you can go a long way and not catch up oh with my, them later in the year when they're, when they're traveling. Yeah. And another thing with that too, Paul, and, uh, you know, I can remember, and I, I'm there again, I'm assuming it's probably... Similar to that now, the third week was a week when a lot of serious deer hunters yeah. took their vacation. The, yeah. They always went for the week before Thanksgiving yeah. because they always felt that was the kind of the peak of the rut. Yeah. The third week was always a big deal with uh, with a lot of hunters yeah. that, that were serious deer hunters, and they had one week to take off. That was the week that they would yeah. take off, that third week. So. And we, we like the fourth week, more or better less, chance of snow. better chance of snow. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So later yeah, in the Obviously, year. the later you go into November, the yeah. doesn't always obviously hold true, but uh, that no, that was the, no. the it stands to reason, the, the logic. Um, so one thing you do find out, find with the rut is the further north you go, the rut tends to be shorter and more intense. Mm-hmm. As you get to, you know, southern states, it can be more drawn out. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, you look at place basically places with that have intense winters. Mm-hmm. It's like they're boom getting it done and over with right. before yeah. inclement weather comes. And and you read some states, southern states, yeah, it can last quite a while. Mm-hmm. Ruts less intense but longer duration. Um, so one thing that when I was looking up stuff regarding you know the rut and hunter success and stuff. Maine has an interesting program. Um, it's part of what they call their spy project, and I had no idea about this. It's on the Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife's website. Yeah, so they have what's called the rut watch. And so if someone's out deer hunting during, in the fall time and they observe any characteristics of rutting activity, they can report it mm-hmm. on, this, on the website, on this database, and what they saw for activity... And basically, it'll give you know they give the time that they saw the the activity, the date, what they saw. There's categories that they have um, for writing activity, and it's a method at which the state can help try to hone in on mm. basically when peak rut is. Mm-hmm. Because I guess the way they used to do it was, or I and mean, they probably still do, is it was basically analysis of uh, pregnant does. Yeah. So if a doe gets hit by a car. They would look at the fetus and kind of work backwards to Back predict track, yeah. uh, when conception was. Yeah. And, but they, not a lot of numbers of pregnant does that they would have to analyze. Right. Um, so this kind of opened up the realm of, you know, hunters and outdoors, right. men and women can right. report what they saw yeah. for activity and then they can utilize that um, to kind of study when peak rut is yeah. in the state. So I thought that was pretty Pretty interesting. So another one that I'd come across was, or I guess I was thinking about, was uh, I found this in one of the places that we hunt is a lot of the deer avoid roads. Yeah. Big time. Human activity. They, they associate areas. roads with human activity, and which stands to reason. I mean, it, I mean there's, there, there's some places that, it can be relatively easy to pick up a buck track mm. from the road. Yeah. But I've found, man, one of the areas that we hunt in particular, boys, hey, I've picked up a lot of buck tracks just by even driving down the road. Yeah. And see on the bank where a deer had walked down. But he didn't go to the across road. the road. Yeah. But didn't cross the road. And you just happened to catch, you know, yeah. 20 yards, 30 yards up on the bank, some punch marks. Yeah. And you get out and you're like, yeah, he came down to the road. Turned yep. around, hightailed right out of there. Yeah. In tracking deer, I don't know how many deer that I've tracked in that particular area. They come up to the road, will parallel the road, but they'll find a spot to get across that road in a, maybe it dead ends. Right. Or it's a worse section of the road, hard to travel. And they amaze me at how they find areas to yeah. navigate through these places. Yeah. Uh, and get on the other side of the road without actually crossing a part of the road you could drive. Right. But hands down, so we're looking at hunter success. What's the biggest predictor of hunter success? And we were talking, it's kind of a no-brainer when you think about it, but it boils down to time spent. Yep. And yep. this was all the studies that were using predictive models or models to predict hunter success were hands down, time spent, is your key factor to success. Right. Age, 
experience, those had very little influence right. as opposed to yeah. to uh, time spent. Yeah. So boots on the ground, getting out and yeah, showing up would every make, day. Uh, I would agree with that. That would make perfect sense, Paul. You, uh, and most of your successful or let's say good deer hunters, that's, they have that they, mentality that they're going to, you know, they're going to stay out there. They're going to hunt every opportunity. Yeah. And and uh, you, you see it a lot. I watch a lot of uh, podcasts and hunting shows in the Northeast, and these young guys are, they spend a lot of time. I, I don't know what they do for work. Yeah. They spend a lot of time in the woods. Yeah. And, and, and they're mobile. Yeah. They may be in the Adirondacks one week and in Maine the next. And, yep. and they're, and they're, they're doing mass in uh, in December and New Hampshire, Vermont, and uh, they spent a lot of time yeah. hunting. So, yeah. So I came across a study. It was <clears throat> it was published in 2022 in October, and it was a study in Oregon, like the northeast corner of Oregon, and they looked at so rifle hunting for deer, rifle hunting for elk, and mm-hmm. then bow hunting for I believe elk, but they ended up excluding the bow hunting for elk because they didn't get a lot of numbers as far as mm-hmm. people uh, bow hunting for elk. And they were trying to find the biggest predictors of hunter success. So they're, they're thinking, you know, age, the, the older you are, the, the more, more experience, experience you have. Yeah, the better you know, hunter you might be. They're thinking yeah. that's going to influence yeah. hunter success. Um, they really thought, you know, like the use of ATVs and stuff like that, being able to get out on those probably had a positive impact on hunter success but when it all when it all boiled down time. when the numbers were in um it was time yeah everything yeah. else was basically a wash yeah and it was time spent was the yeah the, I, the big I, equalizer i could see where that would be the uh we tried to do that Paul. that's right yeah you know we we tried to do that although it hasn't worked out for me this year but uh or last year but you know, I have the mentality that uh, if I put enough time in, uh, an opportunity will yep. come up. So, and it's like I always like the analogy that Hal Blood uses: two points connecting. Yeah, because I mean that's basically what it boils, boils exactly. down to. That's what time does. If you the more time, the greater your odds of those two points right. connecting. So you're talking about yeah. odds. They actually had some concrete numbers regarding how it increases your odds. Yeah. So the ultimate results were: you know, successful hunters spent more hours outside of camp. Mm-hmm. And they found that there was a slight increase in success rates to those that were actually out on foot. Mm-hmm. Um, it was marginal. wasn't anything like just time spent. But for rifle hunting for deer, they said for each additional hour spent, the odds of excess were increased by 26%. Mm-hmm. That's pretty, yeah. pretty big. So if you spend yeah. morning until night out in the woods every yeah. day, every day, every day, doesn't matter how how good you are or right. how good you think you are. You can yeah. basically level the playing field. Yeah, by- I, I agree. But but you never want to throw away the other things too, Paul. That uh, you know, there are like you say they're of less importance, but they're still you know a good eyesight. Yep, that's important. Uh, good hearing. Yep. Can play, and they may only play a fraction, but you want all the odds in your. You're favor. right. You're right. You you want you, do, you so you, you anybody can spend a lot of time. 
Yep. Well, I shouldn't say anybody, anybody that has the time. But there's some things that, uh, you know, quick reactions being a good shot. Yeah. You know, like we talk about Lanny Benoit. Okay, he sees a deer that I may not even be able to pull a rifle up on, no. and he's making a shot and killing the deer, and, and you know, yeah. and he can do it consistently, you know. And uh, there's those are smaller factors, but they all play a part in yes. how how well you you see, how well you hear, yep. you know, your physical reaction, your your physical ability to yep. to make a difficult shot. How blood can do it, yeah. How blood can make the and. Uh, so experience experience yeah those are uh so here's uh, where you go making good choices where you go so you're going to spend time in the woods but you want to spend time in the you want to invest that time in the best, best possible pl place that they up your odds again yep. you know yep. and uh, so that that is important yeah and maybe the mode your your way of hunting you know may add a little bit in your favor. So So well, I I would I would say the caveat to that is so you know this particular study that was using this predictive model is right. just looking at you know time spent. But I think where the, those other ones fall into is those hunters that have more experience, mm -hmm. know what's going on, mm -hmm. have all the great physical attributes that, that mm -hmm. are required are going to shorten up the time spent to be successful. Right. So they're not going to have to yeah. spend as much time because they're going to be much more efficient yeah. Yeah. at doing what they're doing. Yeah. But time is, I, I would agree, Paul, that time is if you, if you, you know. You just put you yourself just, out you there. You just want, right. Yeah. yeah. So you, you, you think of people that say, you know, it's easy to get discouraged, mm. you know, and, and I hear, I was talking to one of the guys at work about it and, you know, he'd hunted all season and mm -hmm. he ended up being successful. But he literally has to have talks with himself because it's like, it just takes a second for it to happen. And it's easy to be like, boys, I have spent so much time yeah. and haven't. So I watched a video that came out last night, Northeast Whitetails, and they had a, a very good hunter on there. And he had spent seven days, I think it was Vermont, without seeing a deer. And he was discouraged. That, that can... And he, he was a good hunter. Take and the wind hard. out of your sails, for sure. He was a good hunter and hunted hard. And the eighth day, he went out and he saw one deer. You shoot it? And he killed the deer. Yeah. And he said he was he was discouraged. Yeah. And this guy, is not, he's been around the block. I mean, he, know, he knows that, uh, you know, being successful doesn't always fall in your lap. And there's going to be stretches where you have to really grind and work for it and stuff but he admitted that he was uh he was discouraged yeah. and stuff hadn't seen a deer in seven days of hunting and uh but but that eighth day he killed a nice buck yeah so and you see that's where hunter satisfaction and success can kind of be closely correlated when yeah. someone's younger or new to the sport yeah. and you're trying to get them involved mm -hmm. it's hard to get someone new you know, if you're experienced and you've done it a lot, you know what to expect. Exactly. You know, especially in some of these areas. But if you're yeah. trying to introduce someone new, especially a kid, yeah, it can be very hard to, yeah. you know, when a, a new hunter, you see when they harvest their first animal, yeah. that's usually the thing that gets them hooked. Yeah. Like they're addicted at that point. 
Yeah. But man, if it takes, you know, seven right, days we, of not seeing a deer. Right. Holy smokes. And we have a history of maybe shooting 20 or 30 deer in our past that were out in the woods and that's with us all the time. So yeah, you know that what? helps you stay out there because you've had you've yeah. had a history of success in the past. So you know, and even if you don't get one, you still have that. Yeah. You still and you enjoy being out there because of it and you reminisce about the times you were successful yeah. in the in the deer you shot and you and you can enjoy just being out there. And so. I was thinking, you know, as I was working out today, I was thinking about my most enjoyable parts of deer hunting. There's two things that I love the most, and it actually isn't harvesting the deer. It's the trip to deer camp, mm. that anticipation, like when you're leaving the house yeah. to go, getting everything ready. There again, that's a history. Yeah. That's that's related to yeah. the history, to your memory. And then dr the process of getting the deer out Yeah, and kind of the, the celebration and yeah. the enjoyment of yeah. after the deer's down, those are probably yeah. my two favorite things. And yeah. for a new hunter or a young hunter who doesn't have the they don't have the memories of that stuff to right. draw from, right? You know, they're highly their mind blinked. is blank. Their their mind, you know, like you say, yeah. they haven't built that. We've built that. We have something built yeah. in us, but uh, they don't have it built in them. And no, and it's easy to say, you know what? It's uh, it's not worth yeah. it, or the odds of success, the the effort's not worth the uh, you know so. So I think, you know, a lot of these states try to use some of these predictive models to, because they want hunter recruitment. Right. And they want people to be successful because yeah. that, that'll kind of, you know, that's a positive memory right off the bat. Yeah. And then, like you said, you know what it feels like when it happens. Yeah. Then you're more apt to go tough those it, days without. Tough it out. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing going on. Grind it and, out. But you know what it feels like. You know what it's like to, yeah. to get a deer on the ground and get it back home. Yeah. And yeah, so that's, so yeah, hands down, time spent. Yeah, that's your, I, I would agree that's with that. That's your magic Paul. ingredient right there. Yeah, yeah. You and know, like You don't I have say, to be very good. No, like I say, <laughs> most, but, but, diligent. but the, there again, Paul, most of your good hunters are going to be the ones that are going to be yeah. in it to win it. They're going to, they're going to know that, you know what, it may not happen in the first seven days, but I'm going the eighth. And I'm going the twentieth. If yeah. it takes, if I got to go twenty days, I'm going to go twenty days to, and 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 how many good deer hunters do you see shoot deer like on the last day? A lot. It's 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 common. Yeah, a lot. Like right down to the hour. Yeah, it's like Jesus yeah. crow. Yeah, yeah. Makes you wonder. You know, they doing it on purpose or? Yeah. But yeah, you get a lot of people last yeah. day. They're good deer hunters. They. Yeah, and some of them, and we, and it doesn't play a big uh, factor in the way we hunt, Paul. But a lot of these good deer hunters that I listen to, they spend a lot of time before the season. Yeah, and that was I. I failed to mention that. Yeah, so, they spend a lot of time in the woods, and in fact, they may spend more time in the woods in the off season than they do actually hunting. Yeah. And it, and it plays a it plays a factor in you know their their success. It does. I left this out, and I'm trying to recall the number because it wasn't to rifle hunting for deer. It was regarding elk hunting, and I didn't know if that was fully relatable to to uh, yeah you cross, know whitetail deer hunting. It, yeah, but uh, yeah, scouting for the guys that scouted 
the rail hunters, I believe it increased their success rate by like 400%. Oh yeah. It was insane. Yeah. Um, how scouting played a, played a role in their success. I don't know if up here, right. You know, that scouting is that deer right. numbers are so low. Yeah. And so much goes on during. Maybe not to the to the same extent, but I I would believe that scouting would you know it would up our up our. Uh, I mean odds of success if, and I know a lot of hunters that are successful that do a lot of scouting yeah. and and uh, I'm sure it plays a, a big part in their success. So. Just just getting out in the woods and getting acclimated yeah. in that fall time is, yeah. I think a game changer. Because yeah. um, the whole different attributes of senses you use from our everyday life right to when you're deer hunting right you know we're a hustle bustle a lot of stimulating sounds and noises and and a lot of stuff buying for our attention versus when you're out in the quiet woods you can kind of you got to be observant take a you day get, or you got to be really observant both hearing down. and and visual you have to be observant and that really really helps and patient yeah Patience is a good thing, yeah. and uh, yeah. So, so while we're talking about senses, I guess we'll go into. So we had John Carroll on the podcast mm. a while back, and John had sent me a story of, and I think we talked about it briefly on one of the podcasts. Um, there was a young group of guys that went to their camp after John was there, yeah. And one of the guys, his name is John as well, young guy John Phelps. Um, He's hearing impaired mm-hmm. and shot a beautiful buck. And I guess I, it kind of struck a chord with me because I, I rely on my hearing a lot. Mm. I don't have the greatest eyesight. So you're imagining going through the woods, not being able to hear. How like, would you? Boys, yeah. that's yeah. a tough. And one thing about stuff like that is how adaptable the body is. Yeah. Our other senses can really. Take over. I mean, just look at someone who's blind. Yeah. Reading Braille. I don't know if you've ever gone to an elevator, in, inside an elevator. Yeah. Try you know, to feel got, that. You feel that. And I mean, I'll close my eyes and touch it and be like, how the heck can someone read with their yeah. touch? Yeah. You know, just touching some raised dots. Yeah. And it's amazing how your senses can, other senses can be honed. Yeah. And lack of, and missing some. Yeah. So it kind of struck a chord. So John had sent me the story. I'll pull it up. Sent me the story of John Phelps Buck. And it really, it sounds like it really got him hooked to deer hunting. Yeah. That really, so that he he was excited about going to deer camp. Yeah. And then he shot, it was 206 pounds. Yeah. And shot a deer. Was this his first year at deer camp, this, I, this I, gentleman? I don't, I'll have to ask John. Um, I'll read the story because this is going to be, so the, the young man who can't hear, this is his his words that he, he'd sent to John. And you could just hear the excitement. And so it sounds like these, these guys are hooked yeah. big time on. So there's kind of that link between, you know, hunter satisfaction and success. Yeah. And it kind of worked out, out good. So I'll just read what John's words were specifically. So he's he's like... So I went up to northern Maine with my best friend and his family friends. It's a yearly tradition. We're hunting for a few days, so there was no snow, snow to start to track deer. So finally, in a few days, we got plenty of snow. And we found a fresh buck track. So they all get out and started tracking it. We bumped two deer, which was a good sign, but we didn't get either one. 
So they went back to the truck that day for lunch and they made up a game plan and then headed back out that afternoon. Said he goes into the woods, he made some doe calls. A few minutes later, saw a beautiful buck standing about 300 yards away um, in a clear cut and he missed it. Yeah. So he's bombed and disappointed with himself. So he gets back to camp and one of his buddies there, it sounds like, you know, said, hey, shooter's going to shoot. Yeah, you got to shoot. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to get him if you don't shoot. Right. And so the next day, you know, like, so you can see the highs and lows of deer hunting. Right. You know, you miss a nice buck. Yeah. And, and you yeah. know opportunities don't come around very often. So few, I've been there. Few and far and between. And you blow a chance or miss a chance and you're going, and you're thinking, that's probably going to be my only yeah. chance. So yeah. easy to throw in the towel. Yeah. So they went back to the same spot where they missed the buck. They saw two new fresh buck tracks. Okay, so they decided to separate, and each one, so there was two of them now at this point, and each one picked up the buck track. And uh, so he says, I was really excited. I had a lot of adrenaline flowing. And so he said he walked about a mile, maybe a mile and a half or so up a hill, and he ended up jumping the deer four times and never saw him. But, you know, he knew the deer was in front of him all day long. So he, was, he goes, I was getting frustrated. I was really sweaty. Says, I've been going for so long. He goes, I decided to take a break for five or ten minutes after I saw that he crossed an old road. So he goes, in my head, I'm questioning if I should keep going or move on faster or move on to fresher tracks. He goes, but I didn't give up. I decided to go on the same track. But before I went back into the woods, I gave some doe calls he goes, I started to go in, went like 60 to 80 yards, and the buck literally turned around and walked right in front of him within 30 yards. Oh. And he goes, before I took the shot, I said, not today. He goes, I didn't want to miss again. <laughs> so he took the shot and he dropped him. And he said he was very calm when he took the shot, but after everything was all done, he, he said was, the adrenaline kicked in oh, like crazy. Yeah. yeah. He goes... I had some bad buck fever at that point. He goes, I couldn't even stand still. He goes, I couldn't have been happier knowing I'd shot a nice buck. And uh, he was ended up being 206 pound nine pointer. Would have been a 10, but what one time was broken off. And he goes, you know, it always feels good to prove that I can do these things, even though I'm hard of hearing. So it's always a challenge for me to hunt and not be able to hear what other people are hearing. I can't he hear the deer in the woods. So I rely on, you know, tracks in the snow, and always trying to figure out how to make it work. He was, I felt accomplished and proud and proved them wrong that I can hunt in the North Main Woods. He says, the North Main Woods is such a beautiful place to experience. We see so much beautiful wildlife and get to experience so much in the woods and at camp with great friends and family. And of course, nothing beats the food at camp as well. He's, so he's really looking forward to next year oh. being able to prove oh. that he's not letting his hearing get in the way of, of getting another big buck in the Northern Main Woods. I was thinking of that, Paul, that gentleman, and and uh, congratulations to him. But he will think about that every day oh with anticipation for this year. Yeah, for going that changes your perspective, and it enhances it so much that, uh, like I say, he'll be chomping at the bit every day to get back up there. Yeah, and it'll take on a whole different meaning. Deer you know, camp will so. It, there are a lot of things that struck a court. You know, he was determined not to let a challenge right. like that yeah. prevent him from being successful. Yeah. And immediately when I read the story, I'd read a book years ago by Malcolm Gladwell. And I'm 
big fan of Malcolm Gladwell books. He kind of has books on, on they kind of make you think about things right. in an unconventional manner. Um, like some of my favorite ones are Tipping Point. Um, but he wrote a book called David and Goliath, and I got the book in front of me. And it was funny. So he he lays out in this book these challenges as a society that we view as a disadvantage mm. can end up actually being an advantage for some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not that this particular scenario, you know, it, that that John Phelps had an advantage because you couldn't hear, but definitely there are things that we may view as a disadvantage that end up honing other skills. Determination. That we never, you're right. That we never would have honed otherwise. And so I, the minute I, I read that that story that John Carroll sent me of John Phelps, I thought of a story in David and Goliath, and it's right full of all these different scenarios, but one in particular yeah. was a guy that had dyslexia. We would say that's a disadvantage, right? You can't read like a normal person can. You can't read as fast, can't read efficiently. Spelling's an issue. So yeah, there was a guy he fe- so there's a there's a guy he featured in the book who had dyslexia. And obviously the guy struggled in school. Came from a small community, a farming community, and didn't really learn to read until the third grade. <clears throat> but what he did is to get himself through, he f- developed an ability to listen to someone mm-hmm. and commit it to memory right away. Oh uh, yeah. Without ever having to read. Right. Without even knowing he was doing it, but he wanted to get through school and proceed that way. So his mother would read him books or read to him or say something to him. And he He'd got memorized. very good at being very efficient at what someone was saying right. and committing it to memory. Couldn't read. Couldn't read efficiently. Um, so he, he did terrible in high school. And when he got out, I believe he was married. They had a kid, him and his wife. And he was working construction. And she wanted him to go to college. Like, you need to make something of yourself. You need to go to college. You need to do something. She was really trying to push him along. And he ended up, he always had an interest in law. So he said, well, maybe I'll go to law school. But he had to go to do his undergraduate first. So knowing what his, you know, I can't read very good. So all of his core classes, he avoided all core classes that had like intensive reading in them. Right. Then he realized that to go to law school, he didn't actually have to complete his degree. He just had to have certain classes completed. Yeah. Well, law is very intent on reading, mm-hmm. right? You got to read a lot. Absolutely. And that was where he developed this, really honed his ability. He would right. sit in class and while everyone was taking notes, he would make sure he just listened to everything and committed it to memory. Yeah. So he ended up doing really well, and he ended up the law school. I think he was in Northeastern Law School. I'd have to check which law school he finally Maybe Northwestern? I forget. I think he, Northwestern was a big law school, but it could have been Northeastern. Well, no, he was in a. He ended up going to Yale, transferred into okay. Yale. So yeah, he ended up doing yeah. well enough. That's in the Northeast. So. That he ended up going to Yale Law School. And what he ended up doing, he became one of the best trial lawyers right. ever. Because now here's an example of... So he couldn't do corporate law, a lot of reading, going through documents, stuff like right. that. But because he listened well in all the little nuances in someone's voice and could commit it all to memory, right. there was a long trial going on 
and he would go to cross-examine someone. He was a master. He like he would catch people on all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So he became an excellent trial lawyer. Yeah. So, you know, that's an example of Malcolm Gladwell kind of laying out how we would as a whole say if you're dyslexic, it's a disadvantage. It's a disadvantage. Yeah. But in this particular scenario, yeah. It was what made him develop that skill of being like a phenomenal listener and being able to memorize yeah. what he heard. And, and there's a plethora of examples in that book uh, where we would automatically assume, you know, that's a challenge. It's hard to overcome. Right. But it actually. Yeah. And, and that plays out in all uh, phases of society. Paul, you read about that in the business world. Oh, yeah. Kids coming from disadvantaged homes and working harder and, uh, and athletes, you know, a lot of times they weren't the best, best at, you know, the most nope. talented or gifted athletes that become the, the best at their sport. They, they work harder than the next guy or, yep. or find out what they're really good at, you know, what yep. they can, uh, and, uh, that, like I say, in all aspects of our society, that happens. So it's really how you respond to a challenge. That's the big determination has. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if your challenge is a disability or not privileged to maybe have access to the best school. That's exactly right. Or financial issues or you come from an area of oppression or something like that. But it's how you respond to that challenge Mm -hmm. that really can separate you from, from the others. Yeah. And yeah, so I get the book here. Yeah, it's David and Goliath. It's David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. I think I've read all of Malcolm's books, mm. and he's had a lot of good books. And so when I was reading that story, I was like, "God, where's that Malcolm Gladwell book?" Because I've got to read quite a bit. Have a lot of books. Yeah, and I keep all my books. I don't put them in mm. totes, and you never know when I want to reference them. And I'm like, I probably can't find this book. It's been a long time since I read it. And I happen to look yeah. over my shelf, and it was the first book I laid eyes on. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, John, John Phelps' story was pretty, pretty cool. You know, it really struck a chord with yeah. me. Um, Anything is possible, Paul. If you you know, there's, it's just a matter of the uh, the person uh, being determined and and setting his mind to something. You know, yeah. you can you can do almost anything. That uh, yeah. Like he, like Riley last day, he's a he's a determined guy. Yes. He's, yeah. You know, so Yeah, you you get a mindset like that, like there ain't no no challenge is gonna get in your way too big to yeah, stop. And almost look forward to it sometimes. Look yeah. forward to a challenge. And I've always I've always told people that, you know, there's a solution to every problem. Mm-hmm. And if if you can't come up with a solution, someone else will. Yeah. So figure it out. Yeah. Because there's always a way to get something yeah. done. But yeah, that was a really good, good story. And it's kind of, yeah, you know, young guys getting caught up in yeah. the, the traditions of deer hunting and, and it was yeah. a big buck to boot. They did it tracking. Yeah. You, know, you imagine not being able to hear and track. Well, yeah, you can know, now. But, uh, yeah. I'm pretty close to that right now. My, my hearing is uh, going, going south. So, yeah. yeah. So I guess, yeah, to summarize this, I mean, your biggest route to success is time spent and yeah don't get discouraged don't let any challenges get in, in the way nope nope that's good advice yeah oh not to change the subject too much but 
you were down in Boston, or you were down in Massachusetts, excuse yeah. me. Yeah. So I told Brittany, my sister, we're going to have Deer Camp 2.0 down there next year. Yeah, while I was there. So <laughs> I spent a lot of time in the woods up here. And uh, while I was there, and I don't know if you can put a photo of it, Paul, if you've got the photo or if you wanted to. <coughs> I guess some video of yeah. it. Yeah, so right in the I'm middle of the home. day, we're all sitting in the kitchen, and right outside the window, there's a beautiful eight-point buck. Yeah. They just eating bought- their vegetation, eating their flowers in the <laughs> flower bed and stuff. And uh, so. They just bought a house in Mass. Yeah. Moving back to the East Coast. And- yeah, I think there was four or five deer there, but one beautiful Beautiful she buck, says yeah. she's close to some national forest or state forest yeah. or something like that. So yeah. probably look into that. So I basically invited us down and said, we're going to have deer, deer camp 2.0 at your place. Down in, down, down in Mass. Yeah. Well, they're not far from New Hampshire either. I <clears throat> I don't know what part of New Hampshire, you know, if there's good deer hunting in that. But there, I know they're, because we actually just went for a short ride and had uh, supper in in New Hampshire while oh, okay. we were there, yeah. She's working in New Hampshire, In Hampton. She, she is, she's, uh, no, yeah. she's not. No? She, no, she's working in uh, Amesbury, Mass. Oh, okay. Right. But they thought about, when when she knew she was working in Amesbury, she thought about living in New Hampshire, because it's not far from Okay, that's it what I was is, It about. isn't far from New Hampshire. All right. So. Well, awesome. Yeah. There, I guess... I don't know what we get planned for. I like to go ice fishing sometime, but I'm still not. Yeah, we get an invite. I, I was telling oh, you yeah. before yeah. the podcast, we get an invite to go. Uh, we just have to nail do- down a time yeah. with the with a uh, friend of mine. Make so, sure that there's ice. Yeah, there'll be ice when we yeah. go. There'll be. I'm. It was been making ice the last it few has. nights. It's been cold, it so there'll be ice. There yeah. always is. Yep. So. Yep. Eventually. So anyway, I guess that just about sums it up. Yeah. So until next time, get outside. It's good for the soul. See ya.